1: By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello,
2: I'm your host, Cheryl
3: Jones. I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we... Talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm welcoming back Rachel Codanas. Rachel's an author I think I just pronounced that wrong. Kodanaz. <laughs> Rachel is an author Codanaz. speaker Codanaz, Sorry about that. Rachel's, no worries, no worries. <laughs> Rachel's an author, speaker, and coach who provides encouragement to those who are suffering a loss or setback. Overcoming her own adversity following the sudden death of her husband leaving her with a two-year-old daughter to raise alone, and her experience in the management of large corporations led her to develop and publish resources about how to support grief and loss in the workplace. She holds a BS in business administration from Bryant University. She's a columnist for Living with Loss magazine and has published numerous articles on on uh, grief, including a grief in the workplace management guide, and her book *Living with Loss One Day at a Time*. In the book we'll talk about today, *Grief in the Workplace*, uh, she speaks nationally to numerous organizations and has appeared on *Good Morning America*. And she's inspired thousands with her unique blend of presentations and workshops. And you'll you'll hear what's unique about rachel in just a second welcome back rachel thanks and thanks for having me hello to everybody yeah it's it's nice to have you back i i enjoy um i've had a few guests come to talk about another you know another aspect of the subject and it's really nice i i love how this show creates community and it really feels that way when i get another hour with someone so i'm glad to have you and am looking forward to it. The other reason I'm very um, uh, happy to have you is that I just feel this is such an important subject. You know, uh, it's a slightly different but related thing. I work with cancer a lot, and uh, I do a lot of groups and see people in my office too. And, boy, workplace issues, the the inadequacy of workplaces in handling... Um, life's challenging events is just stunning. And so I'm, you know, I spend a lot of time, sorry, that's okay. I, so I'm just glad we get this time to talk about it.
4: So I spent a lot of time in the workplace and as, as you opened up and shared my little bit of my bio is that I was in the workplace when my husband passed away but I find that they are coming along. I think our national media of tragedies is helping the situation, not that we need the tragedies to help it, but I think that we have so much on it, news in our face all the time that we only have up but no choice to address it.
3: Yes, and um, it's still um, really, really challenging. Um, You know, even uh, I I felt compelled as I was preparing to talk to you to reread Sheryl Sandberg's post that she wrote when she went back to work. Sheryl Sandberg is the author of um, Lean In and Her Husband Died Suddenly. And you would say, you know, she sort of had uh, a relatively privileged situation where there was support in the workplace and she had a a large community, etc. But I still noticed things like she went back pretty quickly. Uh, She basically had to manage training people about what she needed. Um, Everyone was kind of looking at her like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And she had to kind of guide them. That's partly because she was a boss, but I think there is that sense of uncertainty and a lack of training. Right, and if I could take a second to share my story, because it puts it into two
4: different perspectives. My husband and I work for the same company, and so what my team and the people that work for me need to When I came back to work as a grieving employee versus what his team and his people had to do when they actually lost a coworker. Mm. And while some of it is similar, the reactions to the two different pieces of grief in the workplace are, it's just incredible to me of what, how people respond and not so much negatively. It's just like, as you were sharing with Cheryl, they don't know what to do. And they're looking at the griever, such as me to tell them, and how do I know what to do? You know i mean i'm I'm just as in shock as they are, but to tell you the real two differences is me coming back, I'm not the same person that left, obviously, if it's been a long term illness or a you know it's an aging related loss then you've had some time to work with your coworkers and your management of what your future needs are but the ones that are the sudden losses which are you know an accident in my case it was a natural um, it, it was not, it wasn't an illness it was arrhythmia just missed a heartbeat did recover and died suddenly but the suicides the homicides those types of deaths are so shocking to not only the grievers but the work group as well So they just don't know how to behave.
3: Yes, and um, I, I, I also just want to put in there that I have encountered some workplaces that I felt did a pretty great job. For instance, I had a client once when she went back to her workplace, they said, we want you to be here because we're here for you. And we're not expecting anything from you, and she sat at her desk, and most of the time was kind of scattered and spaced out for months and uh, people came over, put a hand on her back, you know, really supported her that I found that remarkable and unusual. <laughs> So there I've
4: you know good or bad, I've been doing this for a while and I've seen so many different companies. but what I've learned along the way is most and I and I'm carefully saying that most companies have a desire to do the right thing. they just don't know what the right thing is. Yes. and so in my goals and what I do is not so much to support the griever as much as I like to support the co-workers, management, supervisors, EAPs. HR, anybody that wants to know how to make this the best transition that one could make. At the end of the day, what the employee wants is to have their loved one come back to life, but we can't do that. So what I try to do is educate them on the best way of handling the situation. So in the case where your person that you shared, you know, was able to sit at her desk, that you could, that I could help the coworkers and management understand what that what she's doing when she's sitting at her desk and how to help her engage and and how to not push too hard but yet push a little bit because successes are really good for a grieving person, as you know.
3: For sure, this particular person was highly. Uh motivated a very motivated person and uh, you know typically and that came back relatively quickly but I'll tell you she sure valued having the time to get there a little more naturally uh, right and it does it t- does take a while and in different
4: pieces and and people ask me many you know very often and when I do presentations why is it the is it the company's responsibility to accept and offer support when grief enters the workplace. And I answer the same question all the time is, they're loyal to you before this happened. They'll be loyal to you again. And, oh, by the way, it costs more to replace an employee than to help somebody through a personal hardship. Because the hardship will always be there, but it will, in time, find its own beat.
3: And there's also just the number of people you will have to, over time, dispense with if if you have a workplace that cannot weather that kind of storm, because uh, most lives have that in them, most lives. I think I want to say all lives,
4: especially with the if aging. we live long
3: enough, yeah. right?
4: And especially with the aging workforce right now, we are all experiencing. I mean, some of them are not as tragic. I mean, any loss is a tragic experience, but some are not. You know, our time specific and they're supposed to happen, but you still get knocked off your feet when it does happen. And nobody knows, and this is what I try to tell people, is that just because, um, you know, that maybe you lost your mom, Cheryl, and I lost my mom, we don't know what happens behind our front doors to know whether what is right or what is wrong. And the way you respond to that loss and the way I might respond to that loss are totally different. And so, what your needs are might be different than my needs. You might have to sell your house, sell the house, and take care of logistics. You know, I have four sisters. Maybe it's going to be divided between the four. Si- you know, all of us to get it done.
3: And you're kind of referring to the very, very unique way in which people experience experience grief. But can't can't we make some rules of thumb? For instance, it's it's. Never helpful to hear uh, right at the beginning, um, they're in a better place or uh, God had a reason or, you know, those kinds of things, which are things people pull out because they don't know what to say, I think.
4: Right. I do have my rules of thumbs of what I suggest when I go into companies or when I get phone calls. The first thing is that I suggest to everybody that they need to recognize the loss, However that is, that could be an email, that could be a phone call, that could be a, a gift, some food dropped off, attending the funeral, something before this employee returns back to work. And the reason why I suggest that is so when the interaction occurs, when they come back to work, I get to say, Cheryl, thank you for dropping that food off, rather than having the first time that I have to say to you, Cheryl, I'm sorry, something happened. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it provides me an opportunity not to fumble
3: on the offset you know because the there's a thing, natural subject
4: there's a natural it gives me as the griever returning to work an opportunity to have a natural reaction to a gesture that had been created by somebody so it's not a strange first interaction and i really stress that no matter what your relationship is with that coworker. Just do it because sending a card you could go to a go to a card store and get a pre worded card you don 't even have to say any, very much, right, but still, I have the opportunity when I come back to work, and that first interaction is to thank you for recognizing the loss. Mm. The second thing is that I always suggest that the management, depends on how, how tragic and what happens, but that the manager beats with the employee before they physically come into the office just to get a pulse. Because There's always a nervousness when you're coming back because you don't really want to come back. But on the other hand, you're looking for a routine. You're looking for some normalcy in your life. So the workplace provides that. But it's still on the onset. You wonder, will I be able to control myself? Am I going to cry? Am I going to, you know, are people going to just dance around me? You know, I call it the elephant in the room. So my second thing is if the management meets with the employee prior to their actual return, it takes the initial pressure off. Does that
3: make sense? Absolutely, it does. And I think, uh, you know, I hope we'll talk even more about this, but I just wanted to put in there that often people actually aren't ready to be back, but they need to be back for economic reasons or because the policy doesn't allow them to be gone. And I think that's a particular situation when someone really needs more time, but they don't have it. Um, Right,
4: right. But But to to address the, you know, to continue the return to work, to address what you said earlier is what to say, what not to say. And all I can suggest to all your listeners is don't err on the side of what you think might be right. I know that's a loaded sentence, what I just said, but you know what, there's, the workplace is filled with different cultures and customs and, and, you know, we're where you might think in your religion or your beliefs that they might be in a better place somebody else might think the better place is sitting in the chair right next to me so you have to be really careful of the clichés and the best way i believe to handle the situation the best way to handle the interaction is is be there be there in your visual with your with your compassion but just just say what a loss or i'm so sorry mm-hmm. Just don't add your beliefs in there. And that's what I want to suggest.
3: Well, that's an interesting point because I have interviewed lots of uh, people who've experienced very profound loss who have a very strong, for instance, Christian belief system. But still, early in grief, they didn't want to hear they're in a better place, even though they believed that themselves. Um, it didn't recognize that the griever is not in a better place. Right. It's just not something that I, you know,
4: even in my book of living with loss one day at a time, I address that, is that you just have to be really careful. Because really, in and even with people that believe, unless they've been very, very ill for a very long time, and, it, you know, it was time for them to close their eyes, and that makes perfect sense. But there is a point where, the better place is right here for my husband to be in my bed with me, raising his daughter, whatever it is that life
3: was supposed to be. Mm. Um, Do you think it makes a difference? You know, some workplaces are um, very very intimate in a way um people have personal relationships of some sort either because it's a small company or it's a friendly company or and i would imagine there's some difference between that and companies that are very large and people are kind of not interacting too much um are there differences that you would that you would point you know would you handle those two kinds of work environments differently well, I think it comes down to, it
4: depends on exactly what what I'm working on. So, for example, if I'm training um, managers and coworkers of what to do when something happens, and that's pre-existing an, pre- an existing condition, so to speak, then that's different because that's just a management training. But when there is an instance of something that happens, I have come to the, in all the years that I've been doing this, It becomes an individual work group situation. It doesn't become a company situation. Mm. And while some companies, they might be that, for the most part, I have to be careful the way I say this, but for the most part, that it comes down to the work group, because at the end of the day, it is the manager's responsibility to get that work group back on track, because unfortunately, business as usual will occur. I think what happens is when it goes in at the HR level, it becomes a little bit different because HR has to follow policies and procedures, while a manager has a little bit more empowerment, a little bit more subjectivity. So Mm -hmm. I think it comes down to where within the work group does it occur. So for example... When my husband passed away, and I, they, I had even though I worked for Sprint at the time, long time ago, it's not the the cellular cellular that it is now. There were rules at the HR level, and there were rules that there's seven days of bereavement leave. I was given a month off. Somebody authorized that, mm-hmm. right? It mm-hmm. happens. And so, what I'm saying is that I do believe that. That, you know, that doesn't happen always, but my situation wasn't a normal situation. And I do like that at the management level, that there is some subjectivity based on what the needs are. I, I mean, I want to believe that what happened to me, what happened to Cheryl, what happens to so many people at the workplace, it's not going to happen twice in a lifetime. I hope it doesn't happen <laughs> twice. I mean, there'll be, another, yeah. there'll be another loss, but not such a significant loss such as we experienced.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, I'm very interested, too, in just watching the different um, economic situations, for instance, of people with cancer that I watch go through numerous losses and trying to deal with workplaces and stuff. um, There's the people, you know, Cheryl Sandberg would actually be a great example of this. Um, The people kind of near the top that... um, she had the money if she, if she wanted to take more time. There was probably a little more flexibility. Then there's kind of the hourly worker. And when we get back from the break, I'd really like to talk about how you guide um, workplaces to accommodate those kind of differences because they're very real to the people um, in those situations. So let's let's start with that when we get back. And listeners, you can find links to my website and social media, the Good Grief page at Voice America, to like me, follow me, and all that good stuff. And to find Rachel Codanas, go to Rachel Codanas, that's K-O-D-A-N-A-Z dot com. Be back soon. <laughs>
0: Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
2: Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
1: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go, on iPhone, Blackberry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, Blackberry App World, or Android Market.
3: Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Rachel Cadena, as an educator and advocate for a better response in the workplace to grief. Her book, Grief in the Workplace, addresses what businesses can do to ease the difficulties faced by grieving employees and um before the break rachel uh we were kind of on the edge of talking about you were you were bringing in that there are policies and then there are practices that sometimes a management person can make a um, a decision for instance, in your situation um they just said, "Take a month off or you know gave you a lot more leeway, even though that wasn't the stated policy. And I'm kind of interested in what you have to say about whether those flexibilities differentially impact, say, management versus hourly uh, worker, you know, that – I, I was thinking of, say, working in a fast food environment, you know, where the burger has to come out, and you just have to be there doing your job, and if you don't come to work, you don't get paid, basically. Um, so I'm, I'm very interested in how this can get incorporated in such a way that the people who probably need it the most, most who are most challenged by finances and all of that when they experience a loss, can have a little more support in the workplace.
4: So my first response to that is try not to accept no as an answer. And what I mean by that is that there are company policies because even the person that is working at the fast food restaurant, there are company policies of vacation time of, you know, even with hourly, you know, employment, with vacation time, with benefits, with all those types of of things within a job. So first of all, you need to look at those and see what is available to you. And then you have to fight for your rights. And I know it's that when you're in a very difficult situation and you're emotionally distraught over a loss, it's the last thing that you want to do. But maybe that's part of the management training that you learn up front what it is that is available so they can present it. Most companies, and the larger they are, the bigger the EAP, which is employee-assisted program they have, Available That doesn't offer the time off, but what that offers is some support to the work group and to the employee from a, I don't like to use this word, but they call it mental health perspective. But back to the hourly versus full-time. Clearly, it is much easier for a full-time person to take time off. Um, but then again, you know, depend on their job, it might be, it might be a demanding job as well. Mm-hmm. But from a fi- financial and getting paid and benefit perspective, they probably do have a greater benefit package. But this is what I like to share often is, even though there might be a three, five, seven-day bereavement leave policy, we all know that we live in a mobile society and in the way the flights are so oversold right now, you couldn't even get to where you needed to be and bury your loved one or whatever you do with your loved one and get back to work in a three five seven day it's impossible right so right there companies have to recognize that and what i think happens most of the time is that the policies need to stay in place but what they need to do is be more subjective and flexible in how they administer those policies and what i recommend is don't go after trying to change your bereavement leave as your first part of, of trying to look at a grief and loss program. Just have that in place and work around it. And there's many ways to do it. There's a lot of people that a lot of coworkers will give up their own time. And just think of how easy that would be if there's 10 people in the work group and every person gave one day. That person now has 10 days off. For so sure. So even in... Even in your suggestion of what happens in a fast food restaurant, I could cover a shift. I didn't lose a loved one. Why not let me come in and cover that shift for you? And a manager could cover that shift. Mm. So there's ways that work around, even though it might be written in black and white, that's not how it works. Make it work, right? That's how we become a
3: compassionate environment, is making things work. Absolutely. And do you find that places where you've, I don't know, you know, whether you uh, frequently get called back after you've done training then when there is loss, have you get, got, gotten called back so that you can kind of subjectively compare uh, what it's like in a workplace that has thought about these things in advance versus somewhere where, that kind of gets hit by it and then scrambles to, to deal with it? So I have, that's a really good question. I have companies that do
4: believe, how's that for for emphasis, believe that they have um, they have a program in place, but when they're hit by something, they still scramble for what they don't know what to do. And if you look at most, or if you even read, because we all read the same news feeds, that they say when there's a school incident or when there's a company incident that we had grief counselors on site. One of my biggest pet peeves with that is that what does anybody absorb within the first 24, 36 hours of an incident? Nothing. Yes. All they want to do is get home to their loved ones. They can't even think about it. They're so in shock it takes at least 36 to 72 hours to even digest what happened. So when I go into a company, I say straight out to them, you bring me in today, you need to bring me in next week. Because I'm just there today to answer two questions, but in seven days or five days, I'll have 107 questions.
3: You know, that's a really good point. I'm thinking somewhat about the the situations that have felt very well handled to me, and I'm thinking of a colleague and friend I have who uh, who got hired by a kind of medium-sized company Somebody in the company was ill and it was expected to be uh, life limiting, um, that the person wouldn't live very long. And the management uh, researched and and my friend is both a chaplain and a, a counselor, long, long time. She's been a licensed counselor for decades and hired her and said, I We don't want to know who comes to you. Um, Just bill us for the hours. Here's a retainer. When you run out of that, let us know. And we want this to be available for as long as people need it. Isn't that um, really notable? Very
4: notable, very notable, and I do get the, some of those companies that will call me and say, we had a, I had a murder-suicide that I attended to in a workplace, and she called me. They called me on Sunday afternoon, and you know, it's so funny. I never answer the phone when it's, I don't know, the, you know, on the weekends, you don't know the number, and right, for some reason, right. I answered. I know I answered that one. There must have been some kind of something that I knew, must have known in my heart was going on. And when I went in there, she, when I talked to her, she said, tell me what I need to do. And I pretty much told her, as, as, you, as what you're saying, is that I need to be there tomorrow to answer questions for some people. I need to sit in a conference room if somebody comes in, and I can't say that anybody might even come in. I'm not even going to say they're going to do that, but that's a traditional protocol mm-hmm. that they might be expecting it. But it's the three days and the four days later, just let me sit there. Most, because it's pennies on the dollar when you think about it. it, is to have somebody in there for a week or for seven days, it really is pennies on the dollar to get the work group and get the situation back on track. So it is very notable. I, yeah. I think it's great.
3: Yeah. Uh, um, I, I mean, I know, of course, uh, working in gr- as a grief counselor, the astronomical difference if someone gets to um, – process their experience with somebody versus if they don't, because I I certainly work with lots of people who haven't had that opportunity when the loss happened, and it's still there years later, unconsidered in some way, and that can be really rough for people.
4: Right. So when I was working, you know, because I've been doing this for a while and having my corporate background and presenting everywhere and and involved with the Employee Assistance Program, I do have a wealth of knowledge that I put into the Grief in the Workplace, the Comprehensive Guide to Being Prepared. And what I really offer in that is the perfect world. And I know we don't live in one, Cheryl, but the perfect world is that everybody would be educated in grief and loss ahead of time, just like they are in any other management skills, whether it's communication, whether it's creating evaluations or whatever that is that, you know, management gets trained in that the best thing would be is if they could get get trained in grief and loss prior to an instance, and then when something happens, they have the book in hand and they know exactly what to do. But I also am very aware that in the perfect world that doesn't occur. So we, such as me or you, get called in and we help out and we provide them information. But in the book, I really suggest, like it's very simple yet complex because people don't know what to do. And I have a checklist of activities such as who should attend the funeral? How do you notify the coworkers? And even though that sounds so ridiculous, when that type of stuff falls through the cracks, it makes for a very uncomfortable situation because Mm -hmm. it is business as usual. So who gets to attend the funeral? Right. It's a very good question that a manager needs to address. The other thing is social media moves so fast that loved ones and coworkers are going to find out about the situation prior to the facts being on the table. So I always suggest that there needs to be a phone conversation not an email, not a text, but a phone conversation if it's a significant loss that is given to the employees so that they have a chance to interact with a human to ask the next question. So an example of a CEO, right? And there and you're going to call the di- the direct reports Sending out a text message or an email doesn't ask, well, what are we going to do about this and how are we going to handle this? Let the person that's being called be able to ask those questions because if it's an HR person that's making the phone calls, they get to learn, too, what is perceived to be needed. So it's a win-win.
3: Absolutely. And, you know, often... um We get drawn to this work, and I know this is true for you because of your experience. Were there things that fell through the cracks for you that you are impassioned to correct? Or was it more as if it went relatively well and you wanted that to happen for other people? What was it actually like for you?
4: Um, you know, I can't say that it went well, relatively well. And I think it's because it was a lot of it is me. And it's not, you know, that no matter what, what sprint did or, or said, they, you know, whatever they could do. I'm not sure it was enough. Because as I said earlier, is that all you want is your loved one back. So of course, you're going to be critical because you want to point the finger at anybody and because you're hurting. Sure. But, what they, but I, that's why I developed the checklist. Because I felt that uh, quite a few things fell through the cracks and some of them could have been my situation but all situations there will be something that fell through the cracks and I'll tell you two specific ones. One was, this: although he, it wasn't really an accident, he, he was walking out of work and he just passed out, he fell you know, and people in the, in the parking structure were there and somebody called an ambulance and he ended up at a hospital that was out of network for me. And at the time, and I know systems have changed, but not that much. But at the time, you needed to call within 24 hours if it was an emergency to get approval. Well, I didn't care. And why
3: would I call, right? Why would you but, even think of it?
4: And who <laughs> cares? Who cares? Money doesn't count anymore, right? You just lost your husband. So in this particular case, in my checklist, I in my human resources checklist, I suggest that they make sure that everything of the of the of the employees benefits are taken care of. And in this case, this wasn't my benefit, this was my deceased husband but we worked for the same company. Mm-hmm. But no one checked on that. So as the survivor that I was trying to get back to work and trying to get productive again, I didn't realize what kind of of a garnish and what kind of of constraints that they put on my financial situation because I didn't pay that bill because I wasn't paying attention. You know, I never approved, it was never approved. So that's, so one of the things on the checklist is make sure all medical claims, because remember the policy is held by the company, not by the employee. I mean, we're the member, but the policy is really held by the company.
3: Yes. And, and, you know, um, You're then left in a situation where you're. I'm. I'm assuming your income had just dropped by half, which I didn't even think of either. By the way, and I joke about that (laughs) when I
4: do presentations. I always say, like, where the heck was Sprint? They stopped paying my second bill. You know, the stop putting money in. But I get that. But but back to what you're really saying is that you know they have a different 800 number than I do for my insurance. Right. You know, that's something they could take care of. But on the same lines, we're both employed by the same company. I know that doesn't happen as often, but I know I didn't have health insurance because when they dropped him as an employee, I, he, we're a one plus family. Mm. So I didn't even know for months that I didn't have health care. But again, that's part of the checklist, but even further than that, somebody needs to clear out the deaths if an employee passes away there are so many little activities that need to be done and i really i really feel that having this checklist allows for a smoother transition whether it's a loss of an employee or a significant loss to a family member you know i worked with this one company in california there was a one of the vps she had a really bad flu and she was so sick she couldn't get her 2-year-old daughter to daycare So while she was laying in her bed, her two year old daughter got out and drowned in the pool. I mean horrendous. And to hear when I when I worked with this company of all the different things that they were dealing with, because now they had to change management structure and all that, it's not as easy as people think of, oh, my my neighbor just lost her husband. It's much bigger than it's it's pretty tragic. And it changed the normalcy of everybody involved.
3: And, and not to mention, uh, you know, what I noticed in, in my cancer work and all all my mental health work is that when people have a sense of direction, they do better with their emotions. Yeah, even, even if it's terribly bad news, if they kind of know what's going on, if it's not all a mystery, they do substantially better almost 100% of the the people I work with uh, I will
4: agree. I will agree I got a call from a company that the CEO was diag well, wasn't quite diagnosed he had was going in for a biopsy because they believed he had a brain tumor and he chose that he didn't want the company to know he didn't want the employees to know but now he's out and they're waiting for the for the what's happening So HR called me and said, we need some help. We don't know how to handle this. We've got HIPAA laws. We want to respect everything that he's saying and he's doing. So I just strongly suggested to this HR person, I said, here's my suggestion to you. Whether it's his wife, whether it's him, please indicate to him that you would like the rumor mill is taking off and that you would like to make a statement. And would it be okay if the statement would say, you know, please respect my privacy right now. I am undergoing some medical tests and -and so-and-so is in charge. It changed the whole trajectory of the company as soon as they said, so-and-so is in charge.
3: Well, yes, because we kind of forget in I think in, I'm, I'm exposed to business through my clients mostly. You know, my, I, right. I'm self-employed, but um, boy, there's such a strong um, force against remembering that companies are made of hundreds of human beings that are, you know, having emotional experiences. That's a very good example of that, that people could be walking around distracted and anxious. Uh, without any way to understand what's happening. And it really does make a difference, doesn't it? A two-line sentence. She called me back
4: like the, a couple days later and she said it was the most brilliant move because everybody got back to work. And this person that was in the temporary situation, pre- pre- it just took the load off of the sick CEO that didn't want to discuss it, it took away the rumor mill, what's going to happen if something happens to the CEO? Because there was direction put in place, as you were saying before, people need to know. I mean, we like that. I mean, we wouldn't watch our news feeds if we didn't want to know. Exactly. We all watch it. We're all guilty of it. Even every listener on the phone that denies it, that's listening right now, we're all guilty of our news feeds. Right.
3: Well, and we also don't want to make a mistake. Right. right. Uh, uh, most of us don't want to make a mistake. And so the anxiety of not knowing what you're supposed to be doing is a mighty force. It's underestimated, I feel. I agree. Uh, but let's, let's fill that out a little more when we come back from our second break. Uh, listeners, you can go to my website or the Voice America page, but uh, my website is weatheringgrief.com, and you can find Rachel Cadanas at Rachel Kodanas, Be back soon. <laughs>
2: Real life
1: solutions,
0: Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones.
3: And is talking about grief in the workplace and about how to support employees better when they face losses. She consults with many companies and uh, employs her book, Grief in the Workplace. So we're, we're kind of filling in this picture of how to, um, I, I almost want to say how to ground people when there's been a... Uh, you know, any kind of loss event in the workplace, either of a coworker or of a um, you know, of someone important to an employee. Um, I'm really aware that what happens is because human beings are so adaptable, um, we do kind of adjust to the fact that we're, let's say, grieving. And we forget that's still impacting us several months in. You know, we don't entirely forget, but we don't make the connection that that's affecting our ability to function and how how much we can accomplish. And I find that people um, get held to a standard they're just not capable of meeting. Uh, they they get bad reviews. They you know all these things happen in that period of let's give it a year and a half, really, that they're just not going to be quite um, on top of everything, most likely. Do you have any suggestions for how companies can respond to, to that fact without, you know, kind of um, how, to, how to balance the expectations with the capability? Great question. Uh, number
4: one question of a company when something happens is what's the timeline? So while you're alluding to it a little bit, I just want to give different phases of the timeline. Is that, you know, the first couple weeks, months, let's just say a month for now? depending on what type of loss, it's pretty much a fog, and at that point, if it's a sudden loss, then the employee is not engaging, but even more so, the employer needs to figure out where where all the projects are at that, you know, whatever type of employee it is, you know, what's the status of everything, and remember, we all have personal cell phones, and we all have personal passwords, so it's not as easy as the the olden days when you were able to really understand where somebody is because somebody that's experienced a sudden loss, you know, their voicemails are going to their personal voicemail that's just hanging out there. So that's the first thing that I want to say is the first month really sets the stage of it's really just disarray and you've got to figure out how to pull it together. But as time goes on, my recommendations, as I shared earlier, is, is meeting with the person before they come back to work, or if it's a death of a coworker, is making sure that the work group is dividing up the work and figuring out what's going on. And so that really happens the first month. It's kind of just the figuring out. The second, third month is a little bit more of a lighter load. It's redistributing. It's, it's just keeping things on track. But I really truly believe by the, by the six month time period, the employee may not be a hundred percent back to where they are, but there's a rhythm that occurs. What mostly likely will be happy is that the employee is going to be exhausted more than they're not going to be capable, if that makes sense. Because the sure. fact that they're getting, they're getting up and getting dressed and coming to work. But remember, like, okay, in my case, we'll just pick on me. You know, I'm a, I became a single mom. So even though my brain function began to work again at work, I was the one that had to do the daycare, drop off in both directions, that I had to, you know, whatever activities my daughter has, to take care of the house, grocery shop. All of that was no longer set up. And I know people do that every day, but it was a transition for me. So that means I was more tired, and I plus you know, you have your emotions going that are pretty strong, and that's no different in a divorce or in any other kind of change of lifestyle. Right, right. But so, what happens is I could still be spot on with my work assignments, but I could be physically exhausted. So, that's what really occurs like you know, month four, five, six, seven is that you start seeing Rachel coming back to where she used to be. But you just, I just don't have the energy that I used to have, and then I have to find as the employee what is my goals. I mean, what happened to me is I did well for a couple years, but then I just didn't want to be in information technology and telecommunication Fortune one hundred companies. I wanted to do something that had more meaning, and then that's something that an employer has to watch for is the transition of your emotional state once you experience a significant loss.
3: I think that's a really major point because I do find with anything like illness, which I consider a loss experience also, people tend to go back to what they were doing, um, but saying, I'm not sure I want to do this forever. And then they might make really radical changes once they garner the en- energy to be able to do it because they've had a, a kind of slap in the face about you know shortness of life and and um and what does it all mean they've had to sort that question more so i think that's a really good point that 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 might lead to uh, a, an employee who eventually doesn't want to do what they were doing anymore correct
4: but you know again i needed it financially so you know you you get trapped between what you want to do emotionally and what you logistically have to do because it's new, you know, this, you got dealt this hand that you weren't expecting.
3: Absolutely. And, of course, I hear about that all the time, the people who would like to not do it anymore, but their whole life has been built around a certain uh, income. Right. <laughs> you know, so just not doing it anymore. I, I do, do, did have one guest who was corporate and got diagnosed with cancer, and uh, she went back to the same job, the whole works. And before too long, she quit. She just couldn't do it anymore. She gave up her home, she gave up everything, and started a nonprofit. And uh, I'm not sure she still has, you know, a home base. It's a traveling organization, and I think she travels a lot so um you know sometimes people do make very radical changes when they go through um i guess we could say calamitous events
4: right right it's hard right it's nothing's easy, nothing's simple as they say
3: so um i'm I'm hearing around the edges that you're doing a lot of. Um, both advanced work in corporations and kind of crisis management in corporations. Is that what you spend most of your time with these days? Well, actually,
4: I spend, I, I could divide up my time. Um, I have a lot of different projects going, and it really is the stream of which the work comes, to be honest with you. So in addition to, I do a lot of speaking nationally and, you know, locally, wherever is needed. And so some of my topics are around, strictly around grief and loss. But as time has gone on and my work, more work with companies who are trying to create compassionate workplaces, there's a lot more opportunities for training that doesn't necessarily have to be around grief and loss. For example, embracing any life's challenges and both the expected and the unexpected is very popular in my, in my presentations that I do because it's all types of losses. So when you're embracing the challenge, it could be everything from you're getting, you know, you've now been diagnosed, you know, the workforce is older these days, right? So that you've been diagnosed with something. It's not a terminal illness, but it's what, it's going to change your lifestyle or that your family member now has dementia that could go on. That family caregiving can go on for years and years. So what I try to do is help motivate and inspire, employees to, okay, you've got this challenge, but and, it, and it's not a great situation, but what else are you going to do but to embrace it? So I do a lot of that. My Grief in the Workplace and my um, my book, the Grief in the Workplace, A Comprehensive Guide to Being Prepared, as I said earlier, the perfect world that they would train in advance, I do both. I, I train in advance. I follow up, you know, speak at conferences, HR, EAP conferences, but... A lot of the times, you do get that phone call when a crisis has occurred.
3: A little, uh, and and you may get the crisis phone call even if there's been some preparation. I, I think um, early, uh, the shock of of loss is sometimes, um, sometimes creates some amnesia. What, oh yeah what, what did sure. I, what did I know five minutes ago i can't remember right. so i'm I'm sure that's a part of it too but but you know this um, this work you're doing about incorporating uh um other kinds of life events, of course, they all I think involve some level of loss uh, you know even if it's good loss. I think there is such a thing as positive loss when you change your life, for instance. Or you change jobs and you like the new job better, but it's still really hard sometimes to incorporate that and hard for workplaces to recognize the transition that people are experiencing.
4: I agree. And there's some of them like, you know, for some of the workers that have even a teenage, like a troubled teenage child, you know, and it could be temporary, maybe it's not temporary, but they're in a funk for a while. You know, it's hard for them to juggle the workplace. And that's that whole notion that even though when there's a death, it's a different type of a loss, it's still a loss of what you thought today would be changed because of an extern, something that's happened to you that you had no control over.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, and so. circling circling back to the caregiver issue, um, I know just from doing my own research about caregiving that um, roughly 50% of people who are offering care have to uh, feel the need to change their employment, uh, which is a huge um, uh, secondary calamity, loss of income and and all of that. And I think if workplaces were a little more prepared to handle the fact that so many people are in that uh, circumstance, um, it would help all of us. Well, what's interesting, I agree
4: 100% with you. It's interesting is that they've come around for child care. Like when your child can't go to daycare and they're sick or your child, you know, you need to go leave because they you have to go to a doctor's appointment. They're much more lenient than when you say I'm taking care of my mother and she has a doctor's appointment at two Mm o'clock. It's a, it's a culture shift. It's a paradigm shift that needs to occur. I was speaking at the employee assistant program, um, international conference last fall. And when somebody in the audience asked the question and said, but we don't do that. And I'm like, why don't you? Mm-hmm. Because it is a paradigm shift. We have to shift. I mean, our communities are, become, like we started earlier in this conversation, we are driven by what happens around us. And we have become a much more touch me feel me world because of all that's going on. And so we do need to address this, and we can't put it underneath the carpet. So it really does become a paradigm shift of us accepting that our the sand the the, the sand the line in the sand that we've created from workplace and home it goes right into each other now, especially because we telecommute.
3: Right. Yeah, I, I, I think we probably have the same hope and dream that um, being a human being and what that entails would be more woven into the fabric of how we live and, and how um, business functions and, you know, because it, we're, we really pay a price when that's not true. And I think we pay a price financially. Because people do leave and people do fall apart and people go on stress disability and, uh, you know, there's a big cost to not attending to these well, kinds of the, issues.
4: Look at the health care costs. There you go. You don't have to even go farther than health care costs. I mean, unemployment costs. You could just look at those drug and alcohol. You could see all that. I mean, those are all I'm not saying there's a direct correlation, but there is definitely an indirect correlation.
3: And sometimes a very direct correlation i'm gonna I'm going to put that in there as we're, as we're the wrapping board. up, <laughs> yeah well, that's all
4: right that's on you, not me no, just
3: <laughs> i I really want to thank you for being here it's It's been good to talk with you again, spend another hour together, and I hope people will take advantage of your work because I just think it's it's so vital to get this message out to um to the workplace that it's actually in there. It's advantageous to them to attend to these issues. So right, and I know teachers.
4: that it's a very difficult conversation. So, at, you know, at the listeners email me or call me and ask me the question that you have just been stuck on Absolutely. because I will just help you get, not a good English word, but unstuck, that you will just address and not walk around the elephant that sat down in the room.
3: Excellent. Uh, Listeners, next week I'll welcome Ned Buskirk, the founder of You're Going to Die, a series of public arts events, both open mic and curated, that invite contemplations on dying and death. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation.
1: Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief.